0: are so blessed by their heart for worship. Hey, isn't it exciting we got two services to choose from? I hope you're telling all your neighbors. I hope you're telling all your friends. Uh, we going got to open seats for at least a while. So praise God for that. And we are in this series on the new you. Kind of that what God does is he brings heaven down to us first. Before he gets us into heaven, uh, he wants to make us a colony of heaven. He wants heaven to take up... Uh, our lives and we're in this chapter of Ephesians 4 begins it where he talks about you no longer walk as the Gentiles do and he takes on all of these different categories and things that where Jesus takes up residence he just like pushes these things out have you ever had anybody move into your house Um, if you have maybe a mother-in-law maybe a family member (laughs) uh, maybe just a dog (laughs) that you get something and all of a sudden you realize like they take possession of things and everything changes. <laughs> even, even if your mother-in-law just visits for three days, right? The old thing, fish and visitors after three days, um, right? <laughs> Things change. And this is about the shakeup. It's about the new thing that Jesus does in us before he works outwardly and, and through us. Uh, and so uh, this section begins uh, what the spirit-filled life looks like in all our relationships, uh, and I want us to begin uh, reading that with verse 18, um, and then we're going to apply at this, this unique season to what it means to be awakened as a church by the Holy Spirit, what it means to be awakened as individuals uh, by the Holy Spirit. So beginning at verse 18, here, uh, the Word of God, the, the, the only perfectly accurate thing that will be uttered from this platform this morning is the reading of the Word of God. So hear it with reverence. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What I want you to see, I'm going to put a little diagram slide up here. You see that slide? Um, it accurately sets it forth that this keeping on being filled with the Spirit is is the overarching command. This is the center command that he says keep on being filled with the Spirit. And then underneath that, he gives us three and and I think they really do both things. They are the means by which we are filled with the Spirit, but you can't look at it in a mechanical way. Like, hey, if I put these coins in the machine, I'll get this candy bar. Uh, It's not saying that. It's saying, but these are the ordinary means, but they are also the results by which you can know if you are filled with the Spirit of God. So let's just just read these verses from this. This is the most literal way of just taking word by word. So I'm going to have you read aloud with me. Keep on being filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let us pray. Father, we pray you would take this delightful word... This truth that you have shed upon us. And Lord, by your spirit, the spirit that inspired it, that you would move in our lives and hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Little phrase to uh, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit is this biblical contrast. It happened on on Pentecost in the launch of the church uh, when the Holy Spirit fell, and the Holy Spirit fell upon a prayer meeting. That's how the church started. Uh, It is also how in the book of Acts, the church is sustained. I I think often the, the hazard of the American church is somehow to look at the New Testament and the way the church started And to say, well, you know, originally the church started born out of a 10-day long prayer meeting and the descent of the Holy Spirit, but that was just the, like the rocket boosters to get it started. Then um, Paul got a hold of the church and said, what you really need is not the Holy Spirit and a whole lot of prayer, you just need a lot of instruction. You ever felt that way? (laughs) That is, that is an absolute heresy in terms of how the church was started. You know, or, or you can say, yeah, it, they started with all of this in, incredible spiritual dynamism and prayer, but we, we've kind of have gotten rid of that. I heard somebody say in, in, in another community, they said, they are looking for a church that believes in prayer and the Holy Spirit." And they said they found in a community of 19 churches, they found five churches who said they did, but they could not find one who acted as if they did. This text. This text is a command for ongoing maintenance in the way that any church or any movement of God is really genuinely started. Uh, If you think of the church in Ephesus, how did they start? They started with a riot in synagogue. (laughs) They started with a pretty good pastor. His name was the Apostle Paul. (laughs) They later would be pastored by the Apostle John and by Timothy, who has two letters to his name. Pretty good pastoral team, right? But do you know how they ended? They ended when John was on the Isle of Patmos from Revelation, and he wrote to this church that had this all-star list of pastors and teachers. And do you know what Jesus said to them in Revelation 2? He says, I have this against you. Do you know that it's possible for the Lord who he loves you unconditionally and perfectly, but do you know it's possible for the Lord also to have something against us? (laughs) And here's the thing. Do you know the kind of things the Lord has against us, they're not peevish things. They're not minor things. He only has the things against us that wound us, that diminish us, because he is so loving. He is only, so you know what he had against them? He says, you have left your first love. And he says, repent and do the things you did at first. And so this command, but it is a command, but it's in the passive, being filled it isn't saying, it isn't the command. It would have been very different if he says, be filled with the spirit. But, no, but, but, but you go fill yourself with the spirit. But it's saying, it's, it's saying, allow the spirit of God to act upon you. Keep on being filled with the spirit of God. And just like wine is an intoxicant, but it is pharma, pharmaceuticals would tell us all that wine is a depressant, ultimately. Wine removes inhibitions, Uh, So then people often act recklessly according to diminished capacity for insight uh, and filtering actions. But he says the Holy Spirit is the ultimate stimulant. And again, we read earlier in the book of Acts that the apostles initially were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, but then they had a prayer meeting in Acts chapter 4, and we read again, you can check this out, that they were filled again. Why is that? (laughs) Because we leak. We leak. We need to continually and keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. It is like the, the manna of the Israelites where God said, don't gather enough for two days. You've you got to gather it every day. There's something in the act of drawing near to God that is, is de- makes us humbly but expectantly dependent. Uh, and, and so... This is this is the expectation is that there is this ebb and flow. And so this church in Ephesus that started with Paul getting booted out of the synagogue and then and then taking up residence in this public hall and teaching the word every day, all day, he Paul taught the word of God 6 days a week um, in this hall of Tyrannus and the church gathered and then they they had such an impact that they put the idol factory out of business. There was a big idol factory to the goddess uh, Artemis, and when they put her out of, out of business, there were, again, more riots. But here Paul is saying that some, there's got to be the maintenance, the ongoing maintenance and expectation of the Holy Spirit. And this is what he does to sustain his work. There's the, the ordinary work of the Holy Spirit, which, which is ongoing, and sometimes he does extraordinary things. His work is always precious and to be regarded, but sometimes he does extraordinary things. Uh, how many of you have kept up at all with the uh, Asbury awakening that's going on? in Wilmer, Kentucky. I mean, I, I map-quested that thing, and it was like, okay, it's 10 hours and 14 minutes. Can I put that in my schedule? Can I do a road trip? You know, like, like all of these, these tourism, like we've got revival tourism, and if there's anything we can be skeptical about, we should be skeptical about revival tourism, perhaps. But I was just like, so... Um, but an amazing act of God. And uh, if, if you haven't seen it, um, I don't know why... Put up that first video. There's an issue with it. Well, if you get it fixed, you just holler. And, and, and we'll see, let me, let me, uh, let me describe something that, that was a simple chapel service. It was a uh, assistant soccer coach chaplain who was addressing the students uh, from Romans 12 about loving one another sincerely from the heart. And when he finished his sermon, uh, he texted his wife and said, I whiffed again. But he he told the students, he's like, I hope this sits on you like an itchy sweater and not the things that I've said, but what the Holy Spirit is doing to just dislodge lovelessness in our community. And then they ended and they had an African-American choir come and, and sing and the singing was pretty fervent. And then about 18 students decided to stay and pray. About 18 students decided to back up. Yeah, so let's see a little bit of that. It's it's like all through the day, um, these students gathered and gathered and gathered. You you follow that? mystifying news media, mystifying news media who who usually find people are, you know, publicity hogs, and they're really anxious, and here there was such a wise stewarding of this movement of, of protecting it from, you know, people who wanted to come and put their own personal brand because the Holy Spirit is jealous. There's only one brand. It's brand Jesus, and so uh, even, even those celebrities and different news sources were, were saying, we don't understand it, but we're pretty impressed, <laughs> They're not living off human human publication, right? And 20,000 people suddenly are making this pilgrimage to this little town that only has like one chain subway store shop. I bet that sandwich shop, man, they had to be fatigued. All 20,000 people pouring in. Finally, you know, and they're saying, how do we, we steward this? But it, it was this movement of God that just began to magnetize students by the presence of Jesus. And there, there, these gatherings were accompanied not just with singing and the outpouring of the Spirit, but during a call to confession, where there's just like open prayers of repentance of college students. Uh, there were a hundred students who participated crying out about different sins. And if you can imagine being in this assembly, they're kneeling in the front Uh, And students are confessing different sins, sins of bitterness, sins of anger, sins of unforgiveness, sins of addictions. Um, And as they confess a a sin uh, and complete their their prayer, the congregation of students packed to the rafters in the balcony cries out, Christ forgives you. A student, tear-stained, confessing their sins aloud, completes a prayer and they say, Christ forgives you. And it just resounds and resounds and resounds. And again, very quickly, the students came to the conclusion, as did the faculty, they had not started this outpouring. They had not planned any of it. But but they were called in in that moment, again, to to just embody it. And I suppose time will tell whether it is the kind of uh, revival that reverberates and ricochets around, but now there are over 20 colleges that are expressing and reporting similar movements of the Spirit of God, uh, and uh, unexplainable. Uh, it's breaking the boundaries, different affiliations, uh different denominational experiences and cultural backgrounds are because the Holy Spirit doesn't really care about those man-made boxes and boundaries uh, that we erect, and he is just, he is moving. Does that not have a, you excited to say, Lord, do it here. Do it in us. Do it in me. And, and one thing that, a couple things that students understand again is this is not a, a human thing. Uh, my son's pastor in New York, uh, John Tyson, is kind of a, a student of revival. And he actually did, I think by invitation, make the trek down. And he said, he said uh, of himself, he said, I'm a Gen Xer. And so I'm watching these Gen Z students. Gen Z students have had it as hard as any students. They were the generation robbed of their proms and their sports banquets and their senior graduations. They're the generation of incredible anxiety off the charts and depression and suicide. And he says, so he sees this completely free of hype event. And he says, as a Gen Xer, he's watching, he's delighted as a pastor, but he's also saying, man, I could use about 25% more hype here. (laughs) but there's no need for human hype and, and what's going on is, is, is a unique and kind of lasting transformation there's no, there's no words on the screens there's no praise bands um, there's spontaneous uh, students leading with guitar or quiet piano but the thunderous effect he said was just the, the voices and he said he sat in that uh, auditorium for six hours but he said literally he felt like he'd only been there half an hour it was like this this window of of heaven had opened up uh, and the spirit of god had come down and what i what i what i want you and all of us to see is that when the spirit falls in this way as much as it's extraordinary to our experience the reality is what he's doing is he's really restoring the norm <laughs> he's really restoring uh what the norm is meant to be in the church, he's restoring um, that faulty view that hey, the Holy Spirit began with these rocket boosters, but then you know we've moved on to more respectable means, teaching programs, you know, the human expectations. And here we see that now the church, if it is worthy of being called the the church that Jesus said I will build, and the gates of hell will not prevail, it is it, it cannot be explained in a human explanation. And and this command in in Ephesians 5 is, is calling for that kind of maintenance but it's calling for that kind of restoration. It's really calling the church at Ephesus and it's calling you and me back to the way that we began when Christ got our attention and pulled us away and brought us to that point of clarity. Uh, and, and, and so it's that point of saying when we come as believers into that kind of gathering, we come with a kind of expectation for something to happen. We all know the difference between playing church and when heaven comes down when that that intersection of of what heaven is and and what 's so vital is this was just one of those places where god 's spirit lit and said this this is how you know that I uniquely distinctively are are among you and moving and again this is this is should be the experience that we have in it fades it's in different degrees it needs maintenance but it's it's the experience of those who've had whatever blocks the channel of our relationship with God our sin our lack of faith our lack of surrender uh, there this movement like all these movements through history has consistency with this it is that radical obedience and responsiveness to Jesus and expectation that he is present and moving and that's what made the gathering so powerful. I know when I would go to uh, different denominational gatherings, and I'm, I'm in my third pastorate and third denomination, so I don't know what that means. <laughs> but, but, but for the first two, which again, I don't mean this as a as, as slight, or maybe I do, maybe, it's, maybe it is a God-given rebuke, but it's like when I would go to the national gathering, it would take me at least two weeks to recover from the depression. <laughs> Saying seriously, this is what we're this is our agenda. I mean, just looking at the but just the the bickering, the petty things, it reminded me. Um, my parents were converted after I was converted, but but we were very churched, so they were both pillars, they were both elders. Um, there were benefits of learning some information the creeds, the hymns, the music. But I remember like the, the ride home from church was pretty much like, yeah, that, that pastor really needs to polish the brass on the rail of the choir loft. Yeah, I don't think that's their strength. You know, I noticed when I was at the Parsonage, the uh, windowsills were a little dirty. They needed cleaning. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, just like, like talk about exercises in missing the whole point of church, right? <laughs> We've we we we've all been that. And, and then my parents were converted through a ministry of Bible study fellowship. Either converted or awakened or whatever. Uh, converted despite the fact that they had a son who had come back from college and told them, y'all are going to hell. Um, you need to get yourselves right. And I mean, I'm talking about moral, exemplary, loving, wonderful parents. But So I'm not sure. I wouldn't recommend that technique. <laughs> but but what happened was was a a real a change where they were fixed on Jesus and to be filled with the holy spirit is really the best you can describe it is having this love relationship where you just cannot stop thinking about that person that you were in love with and and you are filled with this desire to please and you're like in, intoxicated and and you're you're given this expectation and so um the way that again wine or alcohol diminishes our faculties the holy spirit elevates faculties and and this has been true and you read the book of acts and you read like there's this there's this heartbeat and pulsing of the renewal of the holy spirit and he falls and he falls and he falls and he fills and he fills and and it's to intoxicate us with the person of christ i I love this description um in 1904, there was a worldwide revival called the Welch Revival. You, ever, you hear of that revival? Um, a pastor named Evan Roberts, well, a young man, actually, who was not a pastor, Evan Roberts, was 25 years old, and he had been seeking for God to move upon his church, and he came home to his parents one night, uh, and he uh, had reported this incredible experience he was having. He said, for four hours uh, one night, he felt this living power. And here's his own words I'm quoting. He says, I felt a living power pervading my bosom. It took my breath away, and my legs trembled exceedingly. This living power became stronger and stronger. As I, and as I prayed, I felt it was going to tear me apart. I fell on my knees with my arms over the seat in front of me. My face was bathed in perspiration and tears flowed in streams. And I cried out, bend me, bend me. And it was God's commending love which bent me and then a wave of peace followed. And he said that experience proceeded and proceeded. So he came home and he told his parents, I'm going to speak at church. The only interesting thing was the pastor of the church didn't know that <laughs> he was going to come and speak. Um, and, and, and so he came and he spoke and he spoke. And when he spoke, the Spirit of God fell on that congregation, and a similar remarkable thing happened. Um, First of all, this young man, he had kind of a self-reported gloomy personality, and it had changed to a bright and joyous personality. He had a somewhat timid personality, and he was characterized by boldness. He was physically sickly and weak, and now he could walk for hours. He had robust physicality restored and here is what happened in that church in that town all of a sudden their services went on for days from six till midnight not 6 p.m. till midnight 6 a.m. till midnight for days and days and days um, within a couple of months in that part of, of Wales and throughout that, that little country crime was reduced to almost nothing the uh, police court, this was all documented, 1904, they kept records. The police kept track that they had 700 criminal cases per week six months before the revival. Two months later, they had two cases of criminality a week. It shut down, the magistrates had nothing to do. Uh, there, there, were, there was also um, a shutdown of the taverns and halls of drunkenness. Um, one tavern reported that they had one last customer who came every day and, and visited the tavern. And this man was the only patron. And that as the meeting ended around midnight and people were walking home singing hymns, this, uh, the tavern owner um, threw something at the crowd and, and, and cursed what they were doing. And it brought conviction to his one customer who followed the crowd and was immediately converted. <laughs> no more customers. Uh, the only negative thing that they reported is that there was a slowdown in the work in the mines, in the coal mines. And, and the reason there was a slowdown in the mines is that uh, so many of the miners uh, were converted uh, that they, they, you know, had to cajole their mules to do the work, but they cajoled them with all kinds of cruelty and expletives, swearing and cussing, and they they had unlearned that. The spirit of Christ caused them to no longer be able to be cruel to the mules and the mules didn't know how to respond to masters that weren't cruel and so there was a radical slowdown in the minds. But in one year's time by conservative estimates and here's what happens when God moves by his spirit. He does more in one day than that which can be done for years. And so in one year's time by conservative estimates 150,000 souls were born again. And then it swept through Europe, Canada, America, many other parts of the world. Five years later, five years later, one writer tried to debunk the revival. You know, there's always the critics. I'm totally convinced that when. Jesus returns, there will be certain theological critics that says, Jesus, you can't come this way. You have to come this way. You know, uh, wrong cloud, wrong description, right? So um, the critics of this revival... criticized it because they had reported 100,000 souls that were added to the list of churches. These are members. These are people who go through a a serious preparation partnership and profess their faith and join churches. 100,000 people did this in the nation of Wales. He looked five years later and said that wasn't a revival because there's only 80,000 still living that out. What they didn't realize is is 20,000 had drifted into different non-denominational and different churches and movements to find their way. But I'll I'll take 80,000 souls. (laughs) Incredible, right? And it it had a very unusual ending, you know, and you have to be careful what you pray for in revival. Um, It was such a crushing burden for Evan Roberts that and he did not want to be the center of it. In fact, he would, he would characteristically show up to meetings and he would ask the people, do you believe that where two or more are gathered in Christ's name, there he is? And they would, of course, say, yeah, that's Matthew 18. Where two or more are gathered. Yeah, we believe. He says, okay, good, you don't need me. And he would just disappear. <laughs> he would say, I'm going to let the Holy Spirit lead this meeting. Uh, and he was crushed by the load of this. And, and he went back to being a bit of a spiritual recluse uh, his father died a couple decades later and Evan Roberts um, spoke at his funeral and there was like this power manifested, oh he's back, he's back and people were powerfully influenced but he still, he never took that mantle up uh, again in, until the end of his day but there was this there was this irrefutable fruit from it and, and, I, and I tell you that because I, I just want to feed our hunger and our awareness that this is This is actually the work of the book of Acts. This is the work that we should be praying for. And this revival uh, and every single revival that has been documented, almost like every single conversion, when you hear a report of a conversion, you can eventually probably trace it back. Somebody was praying for that person. How many of you who, who give a testimony of conversion know that there was somebody praying for you before you were converted? I know I was and 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 the same with these movements of God and and the same in Asbury there were movements of people in this part of not only this part of the world but this part of church world that were concerned about the state of their church and so they had begun um devoted serious concerts of prayer uh, that were focused on praying and even fasting for revival. In fact, the report is that there is was one faculty member at the college who was visiting from another country, and they were concerned because this person was so uh, passionate and and they were going without food that they had lost so much weight that they were concerned about this person but but there was an intensity of prayer it it happened in uh different awakenings in America there's a famous wall street prayer meeting that started with just two or three people uh and they were praying that God would send revival and then God sent revival God sent the movement of his spirit uh, and and so um this this is the means by which God grants these things and it has been The calling card of the Holy Spirit dropped to show his reality from age to age. You know, we think of uh, Augustine as certainly a a profound mind, one of the great minds and writers. But um, he reports that during the Easter services, in in one of his journal entries he says that he uh, does not have enough ink and papyrus to write of all of the remarkable uh, things that are only explainable by the Holy Spirit. Um, but, but he writes um, Easter worship services he says virtually every Easter worship service two people or more were visibly dramatically healed this is 8430 AD and, and there are descriptions of Augustine not just as this incredible scholar and intellect but one writer said this this describes Augustine imagine what it would be like to worship with Augustine one day we will in the presence of Jesus, but they said this of him. They said, During the singing of a psalm, you will see Augustine singing with intense emotion, with the expression of his face adapting itself to the expression of the psalm, and tears running down and coursing down his cheeks. And it says, But he also sings with the very marrow of his bones, with voice, face, and profound sighs, all showing that he was deeply, deeply stirred. He was not just mouthing words. He was not just singing, but he was... He was embodying. He was, he was like, I, I love what the theologian N.T. Wright says about singing. And do you, you know, it's worth my reminding you, singing is actually a command. And I know, a number of you do not have great voices. That is true. Um, but the command uh, is to sing a great song. And the command is to make melody in your heart and to sing. And here's a marvelous thing. When everybody in the congregation is singing, we don't notice the tune or the tenor or the quality of the voice, but it blends together in something amazing, Singing is actually, it is actually commanded, but N.T. Wright says this, when we sing, when we actually don't, not just mouth the words, but we actually seek to uh, approximate whatever pitch and tone those notes are, he says this, we turn our bodies into a resonating echo chamber of God's beautiful truths. And People who research the brain says there's something that happens to our amygdala and the other parts of the brain. If you can say where the Holy Spirit, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't dwell in a human building, but when he when he takes up residence in you, something fires that can be measurable. uh, When when they when they can scan the brain, that it happens as we are singing and we are embodying those glorious truths. And so this command. Again, it's not for people with a great voice. It's people who have a great song to sing. Has Jesus done anything for us? This is it. it, It's for an invitation for those who can come into His presence with thanksgiving. That's one of the marks of the Spirit that we enter His temple with praise, at His courts with thanksgiving. That we're not waiting again. We're coming. You know, from what He has already done. The the three lines we're going to pick up on this next week. We have a and, and we have a submissive spirit toward one another. We don't have an assertive, aggressive. I've got to get my way. It's more like Jesus didn't get his way. He laid down his way for my way. He said, "Not my will." what will bring redemption to these people, uh, that was his mode. And so as he surrendered himself, we have that submissive spirit that brings unity. And so these three ways of embodying the spirit, these three ways of evidencing the spirit or these three ways of accessing the spirit are um, a worshiping heart that sings, a thanking heart that in all things acknowledges what we've received in Jesus and a submissive spirit that is ready to defer. First of all, to the will of God, to the preferences of others. He says that all of that is, is what makes up this mighty, powerful church. That, that we're aligned in this way. And this is how God has always sustained his church. And I want to just say, will you join me in praying that, Lord, don't let it pass us by. Don't let it pass us by. I, that, that God would, would bring it to pass. And a friend who said, you know, when you pray for revival, you better remember Evan Roberts. He, revival came, and he was so stressed out by, by the response of it. There's so many eager souls and people. You better understand. It, re, it reminds me, there was a sports medicine doctor um, that used to have a talk radio show named Gabe Merkin. You ever hear of him? Uh, sports radio and, and sports medicine. And in 1967, he asked 100 professional athletes, he said, if I could give you a pill that would make you an Olympic champion, you would be the undisputed record holder in, in running. And, I, and I, had, I had a pill that could, could make, if, if you would take it, it would make you that champion, but it would also kill you a year later, would you take it? A hundred, uh, of, he asked 100 athletes that on a, on a questionnaire and a survey. More than half of them said, Yes, we would do it. We would do it for our little bit of fame. We would do it to say that we were the fastest sprinters. We would do it to say, and, and I just wonder, what would we say if God said, I will do, I will, I will stretch you beyond all boundaries, but it is in the end, you're, in the end, you were, gonna, you were gonna depart this life sooner than you ever thought. What would, would we say? Well, I, no, just give me balance and routine, Jesus. <laughs> Which would we say? The beauty is, the Holy Spirit is ordinarily not that he is not going to drain the life out of us. What he's going to do is stimulate us to health and presence and activity and and to showcase his joy. And the Holy Spirit generally he goes where he's wanted. He goes where there is such an esteem for the finished work of Christ, the finished work that does not change or fluctuate. Um, This is what the Holy Spirit loves to glorify. Um, He's not after experience chasers, but he's after those who say, what I magnify is the finished work of Christ that cannot change. The fact that Jesus died a death that I could have never died to pardon not just part of my sins, but to set me right with God forever. There's nothing that I need to do to make God love me more. There's nothing bad that i could do that would make god love me less i am fixed upon jesus christ i am fixed upon what his cross has accomplished i am fixed upon his resurrection to come um that's what that's how the holy spirit falls is we're fixed on that reality but he does fall to energize and make real what jesus has brought to us and so i say do you know christ in that way is is he in that ultimate spot We all, we all fluctuate in different ways. That's, that's why I think even the season of Lent, it can be useful as long as we don't somehow think, if I'm doing well with whatever I said I'm gonna take on or give up for Lent, God might love me better. Let me just declare to you, there is no obedience you could offer to God. You could fast for the next 40 days and drink nothing but water. You could be on your knees for eight hours or 12 hours for every one of these days, and you would not be more perfectly clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ than you already are. But it's when you know I'm already clothed, I'm already perfected, there's nothing that I could add to this. The grave saint who's walking closely with God on the planet right now does not have more of the favor of God than I have and all I've done is say, Lord Jesus have mercy on me, a sinner. It's when you know that completed work of Jesus Christ that then the Holy Spirit lights and he makes those, those things real. And he loves to do that. And it beautifies, the, it beautifies the church. Revival always starts inside the church as something unplanned, spontaneous, unprompted by us. And then it, it descends to say, these people are really, they have been acted upon. And so I say, the Holy Spirit goes where he wants, where he's wanted. Do we want him? Like A.W. Tozer said once, he says, you have as much of God as you want. much do you want him and it's evidenced in in our seeking after him in our praying in our saying lord rouse us awaken us it's it's an awakening that we so desperately need we're going to spend a little time closing in prayer but i want you just to see this one testimony of one of the students uh, who witnessed what was going on there, if we can call it And him.
1: then chapel starts, and immediately we just see people flooding in. And God said, revival isn't hype, it's ordinary people who are hungry. It's ordinary people who are hungry. And He said, Gabe, I'm going to need you to go to the altar. And I'm like, I don't want to go to the altar. <laughs> and He's like, go to the altar. And I go to the altar, and worship starts. And He's like, This is revival, look left, and I look left, and there's this young college woman getting prayed over by an older woman, and he says, look right, and then there's this young guy praying over an older guy, and he says, look behind you, and everyone's just raising their hands, and he said, Gage, this is revival, it isn't hype, it's ordinary people crying out for a move of God in our generation, and I'm here to talk to everyone. Bible's real. It isn't just a story we've heard about. It's come. And it's not just come here today, but it's about to spread out to the nations. It's about to spread out to the United States. And I'm here to talk to every young person in this room. I just gave my life a year and a half ago to Christ, and it has been the greatest thing I have ever done. I left everything, and I'm here to talk to every young person in this room. Forget the job, forget the girl, forget the guy, forget everything, he's worthy, he's worthy. And I'm here, and I'm just saying, oh, it's such an honor. If you don't feel that joy inside of you, I don't know what's going on, it's real. Amen. I love you, God. Yeah.
0: Let's just quiet our hearts. May this be a place the Holy Spirit can interrupt and intervene. We have praying benches over here. You can just come to the front on any day, any service, any point. Let's seek the Lord. Oh, Lord. You are, Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life. Restore the norm. Enable us, Lord, to name and renounce anything that is not of you in our lives that we want to lay down. Bring real confession and conviction to us. And Lord, may this be for your renown and your name and your power. Be with us as we close out this service in song. And do not pass us by.
1: than a last song.
0: your hearts to this God. May he grant us grace to seek him in this way. Uh, May he do remarkable things in this generation that we're living in. Um, This is the prayer of the Apostle Paul. I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and established in love, might have the power to understand that which surpasses knowledge and to know the love of Christ and to be filled up with all the fullness of God. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever.